prayer. And I know it's something that you're very familiar with, especially if you come to church or have been to church or worship time, uh, any length of time in your life, or even one time, if you've been to uh, a church worship service before, you're probably somewhat familiar with prayer. We know that it's, in, it's important. Um, if you, if you want to just give good answers, right, in Sunday school, the answers would be Jesus and prayer. Well, what do we need to do? Well, we need to love Jesus. What else do we need to do? We need to pray. Prayer is important. And people would say amen to that because we, we know that prayer is important. And then the third thing that's important is giving of your money, right? That was a joke. Nobody laughed. Maybe you think it's important. Those are just things that we know in church world are important. We would say these are, these are important. We would say prayer is an important discipline in our life that we should be praying daily. We use terms like better be prayed up. We, we, we say that we need to be ready for the occasion. Make sure that we're praying about it. Uh, you have an issue in your life, and you start sharing the issue with someone. And if they're a firm believer, they may ask you, well, have you prayed about this? And as a Christian, you fake it and say, of course I've prayed about it. Of course I have. We have a friend that had a, a, a trip scheduled, a mission trip scheduled, and he texted me yesterday saying, hey, the, the trip is off. What have you been praying? And I said, I only prayed twice, and it wasn't about canceling the trip. You know what I mean? That's just, uh, so you know, that in, in Christian world, we often talk about prayer and its importance. We, we know that it is important to pray. We, we could spend the next four weeks just saying it's important to pray. If I ended right now with telling you, without even reading scripture, if I just said, prayer is important, let's pray. And then we ended, many of you would leave here saying, that was the best message Matt has ever preached. Because we know that prayer is important. We understand it to be, to be really important. The problem is, is that we live in a different culture. We live in a culture where we are not in need of help. See, prayer is us asking for help. It's part of it. It's us asking for help, and yet we live in a culture where we're taught not to ask for help this morning. Hey, how are you this morning? I'm good. But, but are you really? Are you really good? I mean, you answered good, but are you really, are you really good? It's, it's this moment where we've been taught, culturally we've been taught how to answer, how to respond. Kind of goes like this. Are you spiritually? How are you spiritually? Your answer would be good. You don't want anybody to know that you're not good spiritually. If I was to come to your house, lock on the door, let's sit down, let's talk about spiritual things. You sit down or sipping on coffee or tea or whatever you drink. And I was to ask you, so how do you feel like you are spiritually? Your answer would probably be good because you've been taught to respond that way. I'm, I'm good. And I have to really dig down deep to tell you you're not good, right? And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to tell you how bad you are, right? So that you leave here and saying, man, I'm, I'm not good. I'm bad, all right? If I was to ask you, how are you physically? You'd say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm not the best, but how many of you have said this? I mean, why complain? If I complain, it's not going to do any good, so I'm not complaining. So basically, I, I'm good, right? You would say that. You've been taught. We've been taught to say, I'm good. Mentally. If I was to say, how are you mentally? Your answer would be, well, I ain't crazy. <laughs> I'm good, right? I'm, I'm good. And if I was to say, financially, how are you? Good to hear that you asked. I'm in need of a couple of bucks, right? That's how we would respond. We, we just live in a culture where we're not, we're not good at admitting that we're in trouble. You ever watch the TV show Full House? You ever saw that? 
There's a little girl there named Michelle, Michelle Tanner. She's a, probably a toddler age. She has a famous saying, you're in big trouble, mister. You know, that's where we are. You're in big trouble, mister. You're, you're not, you're not good. Like, we have to be honest. I mean, if we were in a 12 step program, what's the first step? Don't admit it. it. Don't admit that you would know the first step because then you'd be admitting that you went to a 12 step program or know something about it, right? But the first step is admitting, understanding where you are. You need to know as a human, you need to know who you are, but you also need to know where you are. And if you continue to answer that I'm always good, you're not giving a good answer. You're giving a false answer. And so for the next four weeks as we talk about prayer, main thing, we got to start out, we want to be genuine in our prayer. Not just to come up with a formula so we get all the things that we want. I'm going to talk about that in a, minute, in a moment. But we're not just praying so we can get the things that we want. But we want to have genuine prayer because we have a genuine Father. We want to have truthful prayer because God is truth. We want our lives to reflect who God is. And so we want our prayer life to reflect who God is. Christ gave the disciples the charge to pray. He said, pray. It was simple. You need to pray. And if he can give the disciples that charge, he's giving us that charge also. So we know that it's a need. We, we, we come to that understanding that it is a need, but we need to make sure that our prayer life is genuine. So I'm not going to tell you how many times to pray a day. I'm not going to tell you what direction to face when you pray or what type of rug you should be using when you pray. I'm not going to give you any kind of prescription that if you pray five times a day facing this direction, these things will happen. If you pray five times a day, then turn around and say, Beetlejuice three times, John Bernard will leave. I'm not going to say those things, all right? There's no prescription. You're not going to leave here with self-help saying, this is how my life is going to be better. I'm going to have a better life because my prayer is better. We want to be genuine people because our Father, our Heavenly Father, is genuine. We want to be truthful people because our Heavenly Father is truth. We want to reflect who God is. We are His reflection on this earth. We are His representatives on this earth, so we need to reflect him well. So the first thing that we have to start out with is confession. Prayer really is, genuine prayer starts with confession. It starts with acknowledgement. It starts with admitting. Admitting that you and I have a problem. You're in big trouble, mister. We as humans are in trouble. We are in need of something greater than ourselves to save us. We are in need of something greater than ourselves to sustain us. We are in need of something greater than ourselves to help us through this life. I talk about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 a lot. In our family, in my own life, I, I think about it often. That I would lean not on my own understanding. That I would recognize that my understanding is deluded. My understanding has been influenced by a number of other cultures, a number of other forces, and I need to understand that my understanding is not the best. But I need to look to something greater than myself for help. So confession as prayer, genuine prayer, is, is really the first, the first step. A few years ago, I've told this story to a couple of you before, but laugh at it again when I tell you, okay? A couple of years ago, a few years ago, uh, my dad received a, a, a nice gift from a cousin. Anybody got a gift from a cousin? I'm not talking about the new kind. 
I'm talking about the used kind of gift from a cousin. The one that you're not sure if you even like the cousin anymore. So my dad's cousin calls him up and says, I have a boat I want to give you. And as a fisherman, if someone offers you a boat, you don't even ask what it looks like or if it runs or if it has holes in it. You just say, yes, it's a boat and I want it. So my dad called and said, hey, you ought to go fishing with me. I got a new boat from our cousin. All right, this sounds awesome. So we go down to the lake, back the boat into the water, take it off the trailer, try and start it up. It's got a motor on it, right? A motor boat. Okay, so there's paddles in the boat, but this this particular boat has a motor on it. It's a big boat, right? I mean, it's huge. It's got to be at least ten feet long. All right, so um, so we're uh, we're trying to start the motor in the boat. And if you've been to a lake before, you know that your voice carries, right? It carries across the water. So whatever you're saying about Gerald on this side of the lake, he can hear you on the other side of the lake. So if you go to the lake with Gerald, make sure you're cautious about what you say about him. So my dad and I are in the boat, and we're trying to get the motor started, and the motor is not starting. I just want to fish. I could care less if the motor's not starting. I got my fishing pole. We're in the water. Let's just fish. Let it float, Dad. Who cares where we go? But my dad's frustrated. He wants to get the motor started. So as he's trying to start the motor, it's not starting. It's not starting. He's growing more and more frustrated. Then, men, you'll recognize this, and some women too, then all of a sudden, another gentleman out on the lake in a nice boat, probably a nicer boat, yells across the water, do you need any help? Well, what's the response? What have we been taught to say? No, I'm good. Now we're good. We don't need any help. Are you sure you don't need any help? Nah, we're good. We got it. We don't need any, we don't need any help. So the boat, my dad's still trying to crank the motor, he's trying to crank the motor, he's getting frustrated, he's saying words that my mom is ashamed of, uh, you know, all those types of things. And the motor is just not starting. The man yells again, do you need any help? My dad responds, nah, I'm good. And I'm whispering to my dad, maybe we do need help. Maybe you, there's more to this than, than I realize. Maybe you need not just the help from the guy in the other boat, but maybe you need more help. We, we, we are in need of help, Dad. Now nah, we're good. Now nah, we're good. Now nah, we're good. So then we decide, uh, we decided that uh, we would use the paddles and row the boat back to shore, back onto the trailer, and take it on Monday to the boat mechanic, to an expert, because we are in need of help. So my dad and I load the tra- boat on the trailer. Monday comes around. He takes it to the boat mechanic, pulls up to the boat mechanic shop. This is a true story, mind you. I'm not lying to you. The boat mechanic says... I, uh, hey, how you doing? Like my dad says, I got this boat over here. It's not starting. He's like, yeah, I know the issue. How do you know the issue? Well, when you were out on the lake and it wouldn't start, I was yelling at you, do you need help? I was there asking you if you needed help, and obviously you did because you're bringing it to me on Monday. My dad and I were talking about this story over Christmas, and he said, yeah, that guy still makes me mad. I'm like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> but that's the culture we're living in. We don't want to confess that we are in need. We don't want to admit that we are in need. Now, nah, we got this. In fact, that's contemporary language. Now, nah, it's spelled N-A-H. Now, nah, I got this. We have to come to a realization that, now, nah, I don't got this. And I know that's terrible grammar, but I don't got this. And that's what we're, when we come to the Lord in genuine prayer and confession, that's what we're saying. I'm in need and I don't got this. I don't have this. I'm in desperate need of something greater than myself. John Piper says that prayer is the way that that we walk by faith. And that if we're going to have faith in God, 
If we're going to see that He's greater than us, and that He's better than us, and that He knows best, and as my granddad used to say, that He has the best vantage point on life, if we're going to recognize that, we're going to genuinely pray to God, then we would say, prayer is us walking by faith. Us putting faith in God. Us saying, God, you know what's best. I'm confessing that I don't, but I don't know that. Psalm 130 is Israel's response to God, saying, we are, verse 1 says, we are in the depths. Like they recognize where they are. They understand that, that, that their situation is terrible and that they're in need, they're in need of great help. There's this myth in our culture today that we would deny that there's suffering and pain and that we would deny that we're in need of help. And instead we come up with schemes and we come up with plans and solutions before we even admit that there is a problem. In our politically correct culture even, I'm never the problem. I'm never the issue. It's always your fault. It's always someone else's fault. We never want to admit that we're the problem or that we have a problem. We always want to admit and point out others, others' problems. But this psalm shows us how prayer is important, how confession, how admitting the state that you're in, knowing who you are and knowing where you are is really important. So when we come to genuine prayer, and we talk about praying about things, we, we come to an understanding first of who we are, of where we are. We recognize that, we confess that, we admit that we know that we're in big trouble, mister. All right? Um, Psalm 130, verse 1 says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Verse 1 again, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist from the beginning is showing us that he recognizes where he is. He's in the depths. From the depths, he's crying to the Lord. He's confessing, I'm acknowledging, I know where I am. I mean, in the, in the gospel, like we, we're understanding through the gospel that, that we know that we are in the depths. That, that without Christ, there is no hope for us. There is no hope without Christ forgiving us of our sins. We're recognizing that sin is death. And the death is the depths that we, we are need out of. And in this psalm, the psalmist is saying, out of the depths we cry to you. Genuine prayers, confession, admitting, acknowledging where you are in life. Knowing where you are. Confessing that saying, I'm crying out to you from the depths. Our prayers, confession that we are in desperate need of Jesus. Or we're in desperate need of, of God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. I mean, think back to a moment in your own life where, where you could really say, that was a moment that I knew that I was, fr- I was in the depths. Like I was in the dark places. Like I was in need of help. And who did you cry out to? Who did you yell to? Who did you scream to saying, would you please come help me? A few years ago at Lives Ablaze, when it was still held in Glorietta, I was helping uh, kind of with the planning team, and I was there early, and as the groups were arriving, I'm standing there, and a, and a friend of mine walks in, and I had no idea that he had moved to a, a new church, and it was his first Lives Blaze, and he was really, really unfamiliar with a lot of things, and he walked over to me, and he, he grabs me, a big bear hug, and he's holding me, he's like, just stand here for a moment, and I'm going to just be honest, it was really awkward, as we're standing there for a moment, I'm like, Nathan, what, what do you need? He's like, I just need you to be, just need you to be here for a moment. 
I'm like, okay, are you in trouble? Is someone chasing you? Like, am I going to have to fight? What, what's, what's going on? And he's like, I just need something familiar to stand by for a moment. And I think that's where we are in confession and genuine prayer. We need something familiar. We need something real. We need something that can actually bring comfort to us in the depths. And so we cry out to the Lord. We, we have to come to a point in our prayer life that we want genuine prayer. We have to come to the point where we say, God is the only one that I should cry out to. In the depths where I am, God is the only one who can help me. God is the only one that I should cry out to. This is what breaks my heart about our society. This is what breaks our, my heart about our community, is that we have people who are crying out to a number of other things that they're never going to find satisfaction in. This is why I want people to come worship Christ, because I know that He can bring satisfaction. Because I know they're in the depths, and I want them to cry out to Christ instead of other things. Teach our kids teach our family that, hey, we cry out to the Lord when we're in desperate need. And we understand that we are always in desperate need. There is never a moment that we are not in need of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. We are always in need of the Lord. In fact, it's interesting that Jesus would say in John chapter 15 that apart from the Lord, you and I can do nothing. We are always in need of the Lord. There is never a moment that we could say, nah, I got this. There is never a moment that we could say, um, I'm, I've got this all under control. I, I, I'm at a point now where I've, I've got everything that I need and I, I'm, I'm at a point that I'm no longer in need. As far as following Christ is concerned, we are always in need of Christ. Apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. It's important for us to remember that. It seems like we always, the, the depths, like if you're going to define what the depths are, and you want to know, where, where do I cry out from? I mean, it's always in the, in the moments of cancer, or in the moments of death, or in the, mar- in the moments of marriage struggle, or financial struggle. I mean, those are the moments where we're really crying out. Like we understand, oh, this is a desperate time of need. But, but what this psalm is showing us, and what God is desiring from our life, is that we would always Recognize that we are in need of the Lord every moment of our life. That apart from Him, you and I can do nothing. It's not just run to the Lord when we're in need, but recognize that we're always in need, so we're always running to the Lord. We have to get to that point. Verse 2 says this, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Like we're, at, we're understanding We're crying out from the depth, and we're understanding that we want the Lord to be the one that hears our cries. You know, we're on the boat, we're trying to start the motor. I feel like there's a moment there that as the gentleman's across the water yelling, do you need my help? If he would have said, I'm a boat mechanic, do you need my help? Our ears would have been different. We would have turned and said, absolutely, boat mechanic, come and help us. But just some redneck fisherman, nah, we don't need your help. So we're looking for credentials. We're looking for uh, what what gives you what gives you the the worth or what gives you the credentials to, for me to cry out to you. So you have to come to an understanding of who God who God is. You have to come to an understanding of and decide for yourself: Can God actually meet all your needs? You have to have that moment. Christ doesn't just save you for eternal life; he he saves you for everyday life. And so because of that, you have to come to an understanding, can Christ, or decision, 
can Christ meet every one of your needs? Eugene Peterson says this, Neither prophets nor priests nor psalmists offer quick cures for suffering. We don't find any of them telling us to take a vacation or use this drug or get a hobby, nor do they ever engage in publicity cover-ups, the plastic smile propaganda, or, or things that would try and hide this, that hide trouble behind a billboard of positive thinking. None offer that. Instead, the suffering is held up and proclaimed and prayed. So, so Eugene Peterson is saying, when we look through Scripture, these authors that the Lord has used to write his words down always point towards you're in need and look to the Lord. You're in need, look to the Lord. You're in need, look to the Lord. It's never look to the Lord and this and this and this and this or do all these things and then look to the Lord. It's always you're in need, look to the Lord. And that's important for us to see. You know, as we're talking about fishing and and uh, and being on a boat, I've only hired a fishing guide one time. And I love to fish, but I've only hired a fishing guide one time. And the reason why is because now nah, I'm good. Do you, do you need help? Now nah, I got this. Do you, do you want me to show you where the fish are? No, I can find them. Do you want me to show you what lure to use? No, 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 no. I've got this. See, when you hire a fishing guide, it's basically saying that you don't know. And that's difficult in our society. Because we know everything, right? I mean, you know people like that. You try and tell them something new, and they're like, no, nah, I already knew that. How did you know that? Are you God? <laughs> I mean, how did you know before even God knew? That's incredible. Maybe you should die on the cross for me. That was, I mean, that's mean. I'm sorry. But yeah, that, that's when we hire a guy, we're basically saying we don't know. That's important for us to recognize with, with the Lord. When we're leaning not on our understanding and we're coming to a moment of confession, we're saying, Lord, we, we don't know. We're, we're, we want you to guide us. We want you to show us because you have the best vantage point on life. Verse 2 says, If you, Lord, or let your ears be attentive, the voice of my pleas for mercy. Let, let's, let's direct our attention and confession to, to the Lord and Him alone because we're understanding that He's the only one that can help us. Verse 3 and 4, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So we come to this part in this psalm. The psalmist is saying, If the Lord was to keep up with every one of your sins, how could you even stand? If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should keep tally marks on every time I've sinned, how could I even stand in your presence? If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, and forgiveness that you should be feared. God makes it a habit of forgiving. That's what he's about, is forgiving you and I. And so in our confession, we're coming to him recognizing that he doesn't keep tally marks of our sins. Instead, he gives us the opportunity for forgiveness and he redeems us. A lot of times in church world, we work out of requirement. We think that this is required of me. If I want to be a, a great follower of Jesus, then I'm required to pray every day. And I, and I laughingly or joked earlier about uh, giving you a prescription on how many times you should pray every day and which direction you should face when you pray. I mean, oftentimes we're, we're looking at that. Just tell me what the prescription is. I, what, what should I do at this moment? How should I pray in these, these things? Well, we, that's a requirement. It's required of you to pray like this. That's not how the Lord works. Instead, we should pray not out of requirement, but we should pray out of redemption. 
We recognize that we serve the Lord out of redemption and not requirement. We, we pray to the Lord out of redemption and not requirement. We recognize where we are, that if we want to save ourselves, then it would be required of us to live a holy life. If we want to save ourselves and forgive our own sins, then it would require of us to sacrifice something so that our sins can be forgiven. But instead, God gives us this free gift of grace, and he gives us this free gift of forgiveness that we would live out of redemption, that we would serve out of redemption, that we would love him out of redemption and not requirement. And so our confession is, Lord, this is where I am. I'm in desperate need of you always. And I'm not going to pray to you out of requirement, but I'm going to pray to you out of redemption. I'm recognizing where I am. I'm recognizing that if I was to stand in your presence and you were to keep a tally mark or tick marks of every sin that I've ever committed, there's no way I could stand. But instead, you forgive me. You make it a habit of forgiving me. And so I serve you, and I love you, and I live for you, and I pray to you out of redemption. And that's really, really important for us to see. Redemption or being redeemed basically just means that we've been purchased by something. In our case, in the world's case, when it comes to Christ, we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And so we serve him, not out of requirement, but out of redemption. And we pray to him, not out of requirement, but out of redemption. And we have to see that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that genuine prayer is never good works or an exercise or a pious attitude, but instead it is always prayer of a child to a father. We recognize that we have a loving father who makes it a habit of forgiving us, who doesn't keep up with our sins, but instead forgives us and, and vanishes them from the east to the west. We recognize that he is a loving father, and so we, we come to him praying to him out of redemption and not requirement. Verse 5 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits and in his word, I hope. Another problem with our culture, we do not wait. We are impatient. We say, Lord, give us patience. And while I'm being patient and while you're giving me patience, I'm going to come up with another plan. I'm going to come up with a solution. Lord, I want to be patient and I want to wait for you, but you're taking way too long. All right. And so here's what I'm going to do. You decide whatever you're going to decide because you're God and it must take a while. So you decide whatever you're going to decide, and I'm going to be patiently waiting, waiting patiently and scheming, waiting patiently and planning. That's how we like to wait for the Lord. I'm going to wait on you, Lord, but in the process of waiting, I'm going to plan and come up with a solution. I wait for the, for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. When we pray genuine prayer and we acknowledge where we are, and we put our faith into action and pray with genuine prayer. We're saying, Lord, I'm waiting for you. And all my hope is in you. And all my hope is in your word. And I recognize that you are in control. Uh, one thing I think about, uh, and, I, and every time I think about this, I think about working for, when I was in college, I worked for Texas Department of Transportation. And there was a, a few moments that out on the highway, things were a little scary because people uh, don't necessarily drive cautiously, even though the sign says it's Texas, drive the Texas friendly way. It doesn't always happen when you're in a hard hat and an orange vest. Uh, anyways, um, so, so there's this moment where I'm just like, Lord, this is, this is not the life that I desire. These aren't the moments that I want to be living for. I want to, to, to be a part of something greater. I want to be a part of something, something different than this. And I remember a song on the radio a Christian song uh, with Christian lyrics on the radio. And, and the song talked about how God was always 
in control. And God was never out of control. Well, that out of control really stuck to me, really hit me hard because as I'm working road construction, I think about the number of vehicles that are driving out of control. And I don't want any of them in my path. I don't want to be in their path at all. Anyone driving out of control, I don't want to be in their path. I don't want them coming towards me. But in that moment, I recognize that God is always in control. No need for chains on slippery ice. No need for awesome windshield wipers with rain on the window so he can see clearly. No need for a sobriety test because God is always in control. God is always in control and he is never out of control. And we have to come to a moment where we acknowledge that, confess, Lord, I recognize that, that I cannot be in control because there are moments where I am out of control. But I recognize you are always in control. You're never out of control. And because of that, I look to you for help. And I will wait for you. Verse 6 says, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. The watchmen were waiting for the morning. The watchmen were waiting for something that they had no control over. The watchmen are prayerfully waiting for an act of God. Did the watchmen have control of the sun rising? Absolutely not. It was, it was just their job to say, the sun is rising. Look, here it is again. The watchmen are watching. Hey, the sun is rising again. But they had no control of making the sun rise. The watchmen waited for an act of God. Genuine prayer, acknowledgement saying, we are not in control. We have no control over these things, but instead we wait for God to act. We let Him be the one that's acting. We lean not on our own understanding, but trust completely in the Lord. It's difficult. Genuine prayer says we wait. Genuine prayer says we wait patiently upon the Lord and let the Lord do the acting. We do not come up with our own plans or our own schemes, but instead we wait for the Lord. And when we're confessing this, we're saying, God, we understand that we do not know. We don't have the best vantage point on life. God, you have the best vantage point on life. You know what's best. And then verses 7 and 8, the hope that we have. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Plentiful redemption. Has there ever been a moment in your life you thought, how can the Lord save even me? How can the Lord redeem even me? I mean, if we're talking about keeping track of sin, surely as, as he's, if he was to keep track of my sin, he would recognize that I have way too many He needs to cover someone else's. But the scripture here says we hope in the Lord because with the Lord there is plentiful redemption. We begin praying to him with genuine prayer saying, I'm praying out of a moment of I recognize my need of you and I'm praying out of redemption instead of requirement. I'm living for you out of redemption instead of requirement. I'm loving you out of redemption instead of requirement. Genuine prayer begins with confession. We're not praying out of requirement. We don't enter prayer simply because we need something. We enter prayer with an understanding of where we stand. We stand redeemed. So we pray not of requirement. We pray out of redemption. Genuine prayer, genuine prayer 
begins with confession. Us recognizing our need for the Lord. Us recognizing that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot be the one who's offering ultimate sacrifice. I want to read to you a a quote from a, a gentleman named Dave Early. And he wrote this, God can do more in seconds than we can accomplish in years. He can do it better, bigger, and more lastingly than we can ever imagine. When I think about church, I think about the need for sustainment. I think about the need for us as a church to continually be obedient to the Lord. And that the ministry that we do is a sustaining ministry. It's lasting for years because it's lifting up the name of Christ instead of ourselves. And we come to a moment and say, this is not about me. This is all about you, Christ. This is all about you. We are in desperate need of you. Genuine prayer starts with us admitting that we know where we are. That we are crying out to you, Lord, from, from the depths. I'll read one more quote to you from Eugene Peterson. He says this, We see that whatever or whoever got us into trouble cannot separate us from God. For forgiveness is your habit. We are persuaded that God's way with us is redemption and that the redemption, not the suffering, is ultimate. We recognize that Christ redeeming us is what's ultimate. Not the momentary troubles that we experience in everyday life, but the redeeming work of Christ is what's ultimate. The redeeming work of Christ is what's eternal. And so we come to a moment where we say desperately we are in need of Christ in every moment of our life. We recognize and confess, God, you are always in control and you are never out of control. And because, God, you have redeemed me, because you have saved me, I live for you. I serve you and I pray to you and to you alone. This morning, if you've never experienced the redemption of Christ and you're trying to save yourself, you cannot save yourself. Christ is the only one who can redeem you. You cry out to Christ alone. This morning, if you are like me and a follower of Christ who who wants to faithfully be obedient and faithfully follow Christ, then we acknowledge where we are that we are in desperate need of Christ in every moment of our life. Christ, you've saved me for eternal life, and you've saved me for everyday life. And so because of that, I'm in need of you every moment of my life. Genuine prayer starts with us confessing our need in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for Psalm 130. God, we recognize that, or at least I do recognize that, I'm in desperate need of Christ in my life. Though he's saved me for eternal life, I also recognize, God, that you're saving me for everyday life. God, I'm in desperate need of you. This church is in desperate need of you. God, help us to be people who can confess that, who can admit that, cry out to you from the depths of where we are, recognizing that you are redeeming us, not just for our own sake, but for your glory. God, help us to respond faithfully to you as we hear a the word preached, God, we want to worship you out of that. We want to respond to you out of that. That we would be people who acknowledge where we are and who we are in Christ. I thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.